Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Back in 2003, I got the opportunity to meet and spend some time with my all-time favorite band, R.E.M. In that meeting, I got to spend a few minutes talking with Mike Mills. We talked about their musical influences, and we talked about some of our favorite bands that we had in common. That was an exciting and memorable experience to be able to meet some of my heroes and talk about our shared passions. Now, here on the Simple Brand Podcast, I get to talk to a lot of rock stars in the business world. And every once in a while, I get to talk to one who I've followed for some time and one who's influenced my work. And today is one of those episodes. If you follow my content around simplicity, you know that a lot of the research I cite comes from Siegel Gale. They're the real simplicity experts. They study the simplest brands in the world and they rank them in their Global Brand Simplicity Index. And today, I get to talk to Siegel Gale's Global Chief Marketing Officer, Margaret Malloy. Margaret's been featured in Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, and so many others. And she's consistently recognized as one of the most influential CMOs on Twitter. I hope you've got a notebook and a pen for this one. This is the episode that you're going to want to forward to your team members and your leadership. Are you ready for it? Here we go. Hi, Margaret. How are you today? Hello, Matt. Lovely to talk to you and your listeners. It's great talking with you as well. We have a shared passion of simplicity. We certainly do. What a hot topic. It is so needed, especially today, especially here in 2020. Before we get into talking about simplicity, you've been in your role or you've been in your career for a couple of decades, and I'd love to understand from your perspective, how has branding changed in your career, and then how do you see it evolving going forward? Thanks for that question, Matt. I should preface it by saying I grew up in Ireland, and when I think about brand, I always come back to, let's define it. For me, it's the simple definition, brand is a promise kept. I remember growing up as a child in Ireland, And my father often told the story of his school days. And when he was in sixth grade, graduating from primary school, his schoolmaster, a very austere gentleman, Master Cox. And Master Cox would admonish the children for writing their names on the desks for graffiti. And he would go on to say, your reputation is built by your deeds, and that's how you'll be remembered. And in a funny way, although I never understood brand as a child growing up, that has stuck with me in terms of what is a brand. It's the summation of all interactions that someone has with you or your organization, be it a personal brand or be it a company brand or indeed a product brand. I believe it's also helpful to highlight what it's not because there are some misconceptions. Brand is not merely a name or a logo or even an advertising campaign. And those are historical perspectives on brand from the era when brand was about broadcasting. 
brand management was about controlling the messages that were put in market. Today, the big shift from brand is from this notion of words and pictures to holistic experiences. A brand is now measured by the summation of all touch points someone has with you, your organization, your product. I love it. Yes, that's what I teach people. I tell people that a brand is the sum total of all experiences that someone has with your organization. Absolutely. And therefore, getting back to the anecdote about Master Cox, it's about the deeds, not just the words and the pictures. And if you're a brand, you don't want Master Cox coming by and wrapping your knuckles. That's right. And now Master Cox has a megaphone, if you will, continuing the metaphor with social media. So it's about keeping those promises. It's about having congruence between the expectations you are setting with your communications and the actual day-to-day experience your buyers, your employees, every constituency really has with your offering. And so if we're talking about it that way, then what are customers looking for in a brand experience? Well, I know you mentioned simplicity as a shared passion, and I believe that's certainly one thing. They're looking for simpler brand experiences or said differently, ways to make their lives easier. Second thing they're looking for is brand as a mechanism for self-expression. Their purchases and indeed their consumption is reflective of their values. So that harkens back to the notion of brands having purpose. I'm seeing a significant resurgence in interest around purpose. Customers are also looking, particularly in B2C, but also in B2B, for customization, the ability to take a brand and make it their own. One of the defining characteristics of humans is choice. So having that ability to interpret a brand and make it part of their lives. They're also looking for stories, the emotional aspect of brand. And we touched on the interactions earlier, which if we weren't intentional, we might think that's just behaviors. But consumers want stories that they can identify with, that they can bring to life in their own lives and feel a sense of connection. It's important to recognize that for many of us, the force that's most influential in our lives right now is actually brands. In some countries and in some situations, it's more influential than government or faith or religion or other forces. So brands are a terribly important function in our lives beyond the utility they provide functionally. Another belief I have is that customers, or as I often refer to them as people, actually want community. They want to be part of a tribe, if you will, with shared passions. So brands that are building community, I look at the fitness industry, brands like SoulCycle. That's about creating a brand experience that's about the individuals, the other humans that you're sharing the experience with. And I would also say something that customers are looking for is a little bit of playfulness. It seemed to me like a newer trend, but if you look at Instagram right now, for example, in the makeup category or in fashion, you're seeing a little bit of a movement away from the sort of no makeup look to the extreme end of that spectrum around playfulness. 
ties a little to that customization trend that I referenced before. So those are aspects that I believe they're looking for, some heightened by the current environment and some accelerated by it as well. Can there be a time where a brand can show too much playfulness? Would playfulness turn off some customers? I think it comes back to understanding your customers. And of course, the notion of empathy, recognizing their reality and connecting with them. And of course, as a practical matter, understanding what category you're in. Humor can be tricky. Fun is generally universal. And how you execute playfulness, even in B2B, look at a brand like MailChimp right now. How fun is that? How playful are they in terms of bringing their brand to life? For all intents and purposes, it's an email engine. It's a software company. But that's an illustration of how people are looking to insert some fun into their lives. And that humanity comes through playfulness. I actually use MailChimp. That's my email service provider. And I love their playfulness. I also love seeing their stories on their site. Whenever I'm logging into my dashboard, they show me different stories of small and medium-sized business owners who use MailChimp and tell part of their story. So I love being connected to those other business owners. Well, that's exactly right, Matt. That's reinforcing this notion of community or this idea that I'm part of a tribe. We're on a shared experience together. And to your allusion to the current context of COVID-19 and the pandemic, there is a heightened awareness around the value of social cohesion, if you will. And brands can, if done well, attach themselves to that desire that people have to have shared experiences. Can you explain social cohesion in a bit more detail? How does that relate to brands? And what are customers looking for in that regards? We touched on community a moment ago. When I purchase a product I am not merely buying the functional aspects of that. I'm buying into a belief system, a shared set of values and purpose. So when you go to a gym class, that's one thing. When you go to Soul Cycle, that's an entirely different experience end to end. So that's around saying that we're on this literally this shared journey and we're using loud music to improve our fitness and it's we're all in this together. So that's an example of a brand who has a purpose, brings it to life, and convenes a tribe, if you will, to share in that. I think the other aspect to social cohesion is around shared purpose. So be it a brand that has strong ethics around the environment or the planet. So you have these shared values that people feel they want to be a part of, and they identify with those values and use purchase or consumption of your offerings as a way to bring that to life or to manifest it. So examples in categories like the meatless burger categories that are emerging, it's people who they're targeting aren't particularly vegans. It's rather people who eat meat, but maybe want to occasionally have an experience that might be deemed more helpful, that's helping the planet, but is also a healthy choice. So again, it's this community of people who have a shared values. And the final point I would make that where it ties particularly to brand is this idea around not just having 
social responsibility, but being socially useful. We are seeing in the context of the pandemic, brands stepping up to support the community, be it through converting their processes from, to making masks or hand sanitizers, donating hotel rooms, donating seats on flights. These are all the ways in which brands are stepping up to be socially useful. And that's sort of in the realm of hashtag all in this together. Of course. And to go back to that, I think a lot of people have a focus on identity, on their own personal identity and how they amplify their identity by who they associate with. And that ties to that social cohesion. People like to identify themselves by the brands that they follow, the brands that they use, the other communities that they're a part of. That's exactly right, Matt. And I think one of the categories where that has always been most manifest is in luxury, when to some degree, the offerings are even aspirational. And if you look at luxury, it's often interesting as a leading indicator of where other categories are going. So there was a time where the most high-end luxury was very much about the logo and the conspicuous consumption, if you will. I'm noticing at the highest ends of luxury, a trend away from that to much more subtle, almost insider, if you're in the know, if you're in the club, what I term the velvet rope effect. The club that's truly the coolest club in town doesn't have a name outside. It has a velvet rope. And for the people who know, they know. So there is that notion around how you identify as being manifest in your purchase habits, which in turn reciprocally means the brands that you bring close to you and the brands you display. Yeah. And then when you know, you know. Mm -hmm. So earlier when we talked about what customers are looking for, the first thing that you said was simplicity. That's our shared passion here. But I would love to know from you, how do you define simplicity? So at Siegel and Gale, we talk about simplicity as the intersection of clarity and surprise, creating experiences for customers that are both remarkably clear and unexpectedly fresh. So if something is just clear, it runs the risk of being dull. If something's just fresh and fun, it runs the risk of not achieving the desired outcomes. So that gorgeous intersection of clarity and surprise. Now, to make that very tangible, we think of the dimensions of simplicity because frankly, it's quite an abstract term. And often I find in talking to CMOs, it can be misunderstood, but most often too narrowly defined. So the dimensions, the first dimension of simplicity ease of understanding. Second, transparency and honesty. Third, communicating that customers' needs are being fulfilled. So that's the clarity of communications, innovation and freshness, and usefulness or utility. So it's the blend of those functional components with an insertion of the beautiful. And when you have a customer experience that's truly simple, it's seamless, 
but also you have that emotional reaction that says, wow, that is so simple. And you have that aha part. And that's why clarity is first principles, but you need to add the freshness, the usefulness, the transparency, the honesty to really get to a comprehensive definition of simplicity. How does that sit with you, Matt? Because I know it's a shared passion. That's very similar to how I view simplicity. And a lot of times as a consumer, when I get a simple experience, I like to think, wow, why can't this company do that? Why can't this other company do that? So if I can track my Uber driver coming to my house, or if I can track my Domino's pizza coming to my house, why can't I do the same with any package being delivered to my house? I like to compare simple experiences to every other company. That's such a beautiful point. And the elegance of your analysis is that we compare across categories. Yeah. And I think that's a gap often in brands, that they believe their competitive set from an experience perspective is limited to their category. When as you've so beautifully articulated, it's a function of the last better experience or the most recent best experience I've had. The genius of simplifiers, and I spend a lot of time with brands and CMOs, and I believe the genius of true simplifiers is knowing what to strip away from an experience, a design, or language, and what to leave behind. That's an art form. And often the folks who aren't as sophisticated in understanding simplicity think of it as something reductive. It's just taking stuff away. Yes, but the genius knows which components to remove. Yes, stripping it down to what is exactly needed. Only those things that are going to deliver on that promise. Well, that's right. And when it's done well, let's think about the outcome. Simplicity brings productivity instead of paralysis. It brings confidence instead of confusion. And ultimately, customer trust instead of angst. If you think about that, those are very desirable emotional states for your customers to be in. So that's the framework I look to in terms of the desired outcome. And I recognize that customers truly appreciate brands that make their lives easier and are simple to engage with. What's really important is they're often willing to pay a premium for those brands and more willing to recommend those brands to their friends and family and others. And we live in such a word of mouth culture that that capacity to recommend is a huge driver of sales. Absolutely. And I think that when customers get a simple experience, I think they're also more loyal to that brand, right? Oh, absolutely. And you've just hinted at some of the analysis that comes from our annual World Simplest Brand Study. And that's top of that chart, loyalty, because a major input into loyalty is trust. So if I trust back to, if you peel back that onion, the transparency, the clarity, there's no cognitive dissonance. It is essentially, I see what I get, I trust you. And that's very powerful in terms of their loyalty, but also their willingness to recommend and word of mouth to their peer groups. And those are benefits that are external to the brand, external to the company. Those are the benefits that you see 
from your customers? Are there any benefits inside the company when you focus on simplicity? Wow, that's such an interesting follow-up question. And I would also reference a study we did a few years back called Simplicity at Work. And I think the premise of your question is essentially that simpler workplaces are also more productive workplaces. We define simpler workplaces as places where employees easily get their work done and feel productive and fulfilled doing so. And the benefits there, perhaps unsurprisingly, are a more engaged workforce, more likely to advocate for the brand, and similarly, more likely to recommend the employer. Basically, what we call in branding parlance, brand champions. You want your employees to be brand champions. And we did a very robust study across the globe to identify what are the behaviors of employees who identify their workplace as simple, per my definition earlier. And those are the kind of behaviors. They find it easier to innovate in simpler places. They're more likely to trust employee leadership, their leaders, more likely to refer someone to work at the company, and more likely to stay. So all really desirable employee benefits and outcomes. And I think what your question is sort of hinting at is the idea that if you have a simple workplace, well, then the probability is greater that those employees will deliver simpler experiences to the customer. So this notion that you have to have synchronicity between the employee experience and the customer experience is one that we haven't explored in depth, but it sounds very powerful. I think it is. And I think that when leaders say our focus is going to be simplicity, and that means simplicity for the customers, but also simplicity for our employees, each other. And a lot of times what I teach people is that no matter who you are in the company, you have customers. You've got the external customer, but you've also got everyone in the company that you interact with. Your leadership chain is your customer. Your people who report to you are your customers. The other teams that you interact with are your customers. So if you're going to create simple experiences for customers, that means it's simplicity for everybody. Absolutely. Inferring from your analysis, if I were to simplify it, I would say is creating a culture of simplicity. It is. And that then becomes part of your ethos and becomes your way of doing everything, which ultimately translates to the customer. And it begins with understanding purpose. What is your company's purpose? Why do you exist in the world? And making sure all your actions are congruent with that. Having clear communications. We talk a lot about the customer journey, but also understanding the employee journey and how they get to perform their tasks. And sometimes the tendency is to spend a lot of the effort on just the technology component. We have these tools, but not to understand deeply the human experience aspect of it. Right. And as a leader, your employees are able to do their job through a couple of ways. One, by the resources that you give them, and then two, by the barriers 
that are removed, any barrier that prevents them or makes it difficult for them to do their job. I preach that as leaders, your job is to provide the right resources and to remove all the barriers. Absolutely. And that philosophy can equally apply to customers. Don't we call that removing friction, right? That's That's, that's it. That's how Silicon Valley thinks about it. How do you remove friction in a process? But a lot of this discussion to us may seem somewhat obvious and perhaps intuitive, but I think the ultimate barrier to adopt your vocabulary is mindset. Leadership has to want to do this. Leadership has to believe that it's a good use of resources and they need to prioritize it. And I spend, as I mentioned earlier, time talking to the leadership of the brands that have performed well in our simplicity study. And to me, it's fascinating to look at their mindsets and their behaviors as a way to learn how other leaders can essentially implement simplicity. And some of the components I would highlight are their ability to manage interesting tensions. So for example, leaders of top performing companies from a simplicity perspective, in my analysis, are humble. They are not arrogant. They appreciate their customers' intelligence. They maintain simple communications, but they don't pander to their audience. They ensure their brand that they lead speaks in a very human voice. They are committed to process, but they're welcoming of creative freedom. Process can be very powerful. They establish clarity, but they don't micromanage. They provide a clear framework and they organize their teams in ways that help to bring that vision to life, but they don't be so maniacal that it has to just stick to process. Good examples of that, again, are in luxury hotels. So the true luxury hotels, the Viceroy, hotels like that, certainly there's process, but also there's creative freedom for the frontline colleagues who interface with the customer. They're given a level of empowerment to solve problems for customers. Empowerment, support, and then the tools. I speak of it in terms of tension. Because some of the most interesting aspects of management is managing tensions. So how much is process and where is creative freedom? There are a lot of efficiencies that can be garnered from having a predetermined process and streamlined and consistency. Fantastic. But that balance of allowing for a little creativity. And again, getting back to the genius of simplifiers, knowing when to implement that. The other thing that I think is interesting about these leaders is They're very focused on priorities. They have the courage to say no. They don't pile on. It can manifest itself in product features, in technology or other products, saying no to features, or it can manifest itself in, we don't need to be the dominant player on every technology marketing platform. We pick a number and we do it really well, and we make that experience simple and intuitive for users. So this confidence to prioritize versus desire to pile on is another characteristic of the top simplifiers in terms of the leaders that I speak with. And that is a very powerful yet difficult habit to have. The ability to say no and to plant your stake in the ground and stand your ground on that. And it takes conviction. And that's why 
it must begin at the highest levels of leadership. So how do you implement simplicity, be it from an employee experience standpoint or from a customer experience standpoint? The number one most important thing is it must have leadership support. So without that, it won't happen, frankly. So making sure every facet, what you incent is the behavior you get. So incentivizing simplicity, rewarding simplicity are ways in which leaders really live it. And sometimes that takes the courage to say no. Sometimes that takes the courage to say, we're just going to have a one-page memo versus allowing everyone to pile on. Right. I also think that simplicity needs to be defined for every area, for every team. When we define a simple experience, this is what it means for our team members so that each team member can know, oh, this is what it means to deliver simplicity. I like that approach. And we must remember, though, the many dimensions, not limiting it to clarity, because you need something beautiful. Simple requires beauty as well. And I think one of the important drivers of this from a consumer standpoint is that in practically every category right now, there is a dizzying array of choices. There are more everything than any of us need. So in order to break through in any given category, you must simplify. That's a very powerful rationale for justifying simplicity. How do you break through? Definitely. And to what we talked about earlier, that helps create customer loyalty because when customers have so many choices, it makes it that much easier for them to move on to the next choice. Well, that's right. I mean, in every category now, the switching costs are so reduced. We see this in the current era with the acceleration of direct-to-consumer and digital commerce. It means it's a click away, the alternative, but not if you have built that back to the community and the loyalty and the trust. Because a key outcome of a simple customer experience is that they trust you. And trust is just such an important quality for any brand to imbue. Absolutely. So we've talked about simplicity for consumers, but I'd love to understand, does the need for simplicity differ if a brand is B2C versus B2B? What an interesting question. My confident response is the following. The core components of simplicity transparency, clarity, consistency, utility, need for freshness are as relevant to B2B as to B2C. That may surprise you, so I'll offer a few reasons. The greatest myth about B2B buyer is that because they are buying in a business context, that they operate in a purely rational way. I began, (laughs) right? It's a myth. I began my career. I spent the first decade working for B2B technology and telecoms companies. And that's a myth because, frankly, the emotional component often is even heavier because what's at risk? Your job, your career. So there is a rational and an emotional component to B2B decision making. And often that means, how does that translate? B2B buyers desire for risk mitigation, professional image, career. All of these components are what a B2B buyer is trying to manage. 
So if you have a simple brand experience, it makes that so much easier. Second thing I would say is, as it relates to B2B, demographic shifts. Millennials now have come of age and they are often in that decision maker seat or very close to it as an influencer. And they have grown up with simple brand experiences in their consumer lives and increasingly through the B2B brands that are more disruptive. And they have an expectation of simplicity. So it matters to them because they are signing or influencing the signature of a check. And then another business model reason that may be surprising and is often overlooked. If you take tech, for example, back in the day, the model was enterprise technology. You signed a very large check, licensed deal, and you got the software. Well, more and more companies, the model is subscription-based. So you don't have the upfront cost. Your decision to stick with the technology is predicated on usage. So therefore, having a simple, not just buying experience, but actual user experience is vitally important to the continuity of the business models of many B2B companies, because if it's a renewal-based model, you need customers to continue to use the product to sustain the purchasing. And that's true of cloud-based software now in particular. So those are three reasons why I would even go out on a limb and say simplicity is more important in B2B. Wow. And I don't think enough B2B leaders realize that. I think it's our job, yours, mine, and others to tell that story because in very plain language, it's very real. And I think when you bring it back to business terms, that's why I intentionally went to business models. Then it's meaningful. It's almost like the conversation about brand itself. Some leaders play lip service to brand, or they may think it's the aesthetic aspect. It's nice to have. But when you have a business conversation where it's anchored in reputation, anchored on loyalty, anchored on return on investment, then it's a different topic. Similarly, when I bring simplicity back to the business implications in B2B, then the conversation takes on a different tone. And I believe that's the opportunity for all of us. It's one of educating. And that's why I applaud you with this podcast, because there's a lot of educating to be done. There is. And I hope that people would listen to you and listen to me for the education. Otherwise, you may have to have Master Cox come and educate you. That's right. And as we talked about in business model terms, Master Cox can click away now in a software company, information's in the cloud, switching costs significantly reduced, more products in every category than you need, lots of choice. So it's very real. It's not nice to have. It's integral to the business model, survival, and growth. It's now a requirement. And we talked earlier about some of the companies that are showing simple experiences. And we talked about how millennials have come of age with simple experiences from younger companies, from disruptors, from startups. But I'm curious, what about older established companies? Is simplicity a lost cause for them? I believe earlier stage companies are thinking about simplicity out the gate. 
So their business models are often predicated on removing friction. They have identified a pain point and they go straight away to solve that pain point. So their companies are often premised on delivering simplicity. The classically defined disruptors, we talk about Uber, for example, making it easier to hail a cab. Fine, I understand that. But that said, traditional companies absolutely have opportunity. And for me, it comes back to the mindset and the will, if they want to do it, and the desire to truly have empathy with their customers and understand the customer experience. So absolutely, it's easier for a company that's newer. There are no legacy processes that need to be dismantled. There are no old folklore that needs to be modified. But absolutely, established companies can achieve simplicity if there is the will and the cultural desire. But back to the earlier point, it must be a leadership mandate. And it's an ongoing journey. Simplicity is not one and done. Because customer demands keep changing. And the experiences adjacent companies or even totally out of category companies are providing change. So it's a dynamic mindset that is desirous of providing simplicity. And I see too many leaders create a new focus, a new initiative every one to two years. And so if a leader is focusing on simplicity, a lot of times I'll see them giving it more than lip service, but only focusing on it for a couple of years and then moving on to something else. And to your point, no, you have to always focus on it because I like to say simple never stops. What was considered simple five years ago is not simple today. And what's considered simple today is not going to be considered simple five years from now. Well, that's right. And there are different ways that simplicity can be achieved. So the bar keeps changing, but the bar is different in different categories and for different companies. So if I look at all the brands that we rank in our World's Simplest Brands study, I would offer different prescriptions to different brands based on how they've performed in the study. So for some companies, because simplicity is so underachieved, It begins by fixing the basics. Use clear language. Speak in a human voice. That first principle of simplicity being clarity. Fix your product architecture such that it's easier. And this is a very classic B2B pitfall. Make it easier for companies to navigate your product, or customers rather, to navigate your portfolio of products. So that's really important. There's some really basic things. And a significant inhibitor that many established brands face is that different organizations are responsible for making the promise, marketing, and keeping the promise, services, or product. So that circle needs to be figured out back to the leadership comment. So there are some very basic things that need to happen for some companies. Second way to think about it is Look at ways to be useful. If you think about that as a frame, how can I be useful to my customers? We talked about how there's too much product choice in every category. And sometimes useful is about innovation at the product level. Look how Apple completely changed our experience with mobile phones. Right. Other times, it's about looking at the periphery. 
I look at Dollar Shave Club. They didn't have an innovation or simplify the razor, but they simplified the procurement process, if you will, of purchasing that razor by creating a subscription-based model. So again, ways to be useful can open the aperture on how to think about simplifying. And then the third way, when you've solved for clarity and utility, is thinking about design. How can you employ design, be it through visuals and iconography or experience design? Often that's an underutilized tool in creating simplicity. And one to watch going forward is audio. If you look at Amazon, for me, that's one of the paragons of simplicity. Inventing one click and all the rest, it's been very well documented. But one of the challenges with Amazon, even as it pertains to simplicity in my mind, up until recently, was this sort of lack of humanity, because that's part of the simplicity as well in imbuing trust. Well, what I find interesting and one to watch because the jury's still out, the introduction of Amazon Echo. That's a voice. So a smart speaker that allows consumers to order products, play music, get the weather is really redefining how customers saw Amazon and creating a more human brand experience. And what they're doing is they're using that element of audio. So those are a variety of different ideas I'm putting forward, looking at design to infuse greater experience, looking at clarifying language, asking yourself, am I being useful? And should they fail or should you want to try something different? Consider collaborations with other entities as a way to add freshness. So for example, the bargain fashion retailer H&M, they instigated the introduction of more elevated interpretation of design by having collections periodically with high-end designers. So they use design very literally to imbue simplicity. The, the trick in my view is having that expansive definition of simplicity, which affords you more tools to get there. Oh, definitely. And I love that you bring up strategic alliances or partnerships to provide simplicity. And I think that's often overlooked by companies. A lot of times, you can provide a simpler experience to your customers if you just collaborate with another organization. And I see that a lot in retail footprints. A lot of times there are companies that want to reach customers in a lot more areas and they may have some retail footprints, but it's too small. And so it helps when they collaborate with other retailers that have a large number of locations. Quite possibly. And the context matters. So understanding what satisfies your customer. That's what it comes back to. It's difficult to give a blueprint because context plays a big role. Yes, context really helps. And I think context is what can tie to what you referred to as usefulness. And you mentioned empathy earlier. And I see empathy as what drives whether you're being useful or not. That's a very interesting intersection. I'd like to think about that because I like where you're going. For me, empathy looks at reality 
to understand someone else's reality and ask to connect with it. So if that's where you're going with empathy, then absolutely. Understanding someone's reality and then acts on it. Yes. And I have an exercise on customer empathy and it's very high level. It starts with these questions. Who are my customers? What do they care about? How can I care about what they care about? What do they need? And how can I help them get what they need? And to me, that's empathy. That's showing customers that I care about them and having customers believe that I care about them. And when I help a customer get what they need, to me, that ties to being useful. I would certainly support that hypothesis. It makes a lot of sense. So much of what we've talked about ties back to mindset and belief systems. When I think about the leaders that I deem to be able to cultivate empathy, there are beliefs that I would infer that drive them. I think the first belief you touched on it is that marketing is a contact sport. (laughs) Yes. Right? That it's not about ivory tower, that there's no empathy without proximity. You have to gain empathy through direct experience anchored in a sense of brand purpose and buoyed by curiosity, of course, and that high degree of humility that we talked about earlier, seeking diverse views, fostering questions and openness, and listening to others. So that notion that marketing leadership is a contact sport. The other thing, and you alluded to this with the idea that it keeps changing, a belief that agility is powered by flexibility. I go out on a limb and say, empathy is not a goal. It's a mechanism for leaders to achieve goals. Because for me, it's always anchored in going back to business results. Right. So leaders who are really focused on that. And then the other thing I would say that's important is how do you achieve empathy at scale? So empathy at scale is an operating principle. The leaders who appreciate this Appreciate that empathy is most potent when it is an organizational capability practiced habitually, not merely a quality of select individuals exhibited in a crisis or in a particular department. They recognize that you can't mandate empathy. You must demonstrate solidarity back to your discussion around employee experience, but you must also challenge old assumptions, dispense with old paradigms that no longer apply, and most important of all, create the conditions that generate the kind of culture where curiosity, inclusion are valued and expected. And in so doing, what those leaders are doing, Matt, is they are nurturing empathetic organizations. So important. One dimension of it that we haven't touched on, but we should put as an asterisk, is this whole idea of inclusion having different people at the table because empathy can be influenced by your experience and your background. And we all benefit from having different backgrounds. So having different people in the room improves empathy. If we think of empathy, not just at the individual level, but how do you build empathetic organizations? That's deeply interesting to me. I love it. Empathetic organizations. And As it relates to inclusion, it helps leaders to understand 
that there are different perspectives and it gives them insight into what those perspectives are and how those perspectives drives decisions and drives action. 100% behaviors, emotions, responses, but back to the beginning of our conversation, can drive their business forward as well. You and I have talked about simplicity, empathy, and brand, but we've never implied that it's altruistic. It's all in the service of driving your business. It's not a bolt-on, or we must simplify, or we must be empathetic. It's integral to business continuity and integral to growth. And that's the ultimate mindset, a recognition that this is not something you must do because it's politically correct or you do in a certain department. No, simplicity, empathy, brand building is part and parcel of business success. They're necessary. They're requirements. If you want to remain relevant, if you want your customers to remain loyal to you. Absolutely. Not to say they're easy though, Matt. No, simple is actually very hard. Yeah. I could talk about that one all day. But Margaret, we have talked so much about this and I've really, really enjoyed our conversation on simplicity. And I've learned a lot from you, but I know that there's so much more that others can learn from you. Where can people go to learn more from you? You can go to SiegelGale.com, our website. We have a very robust blog where we opine on this topic frequently. You'll also find us on the usual social media channels. And I would also invite you to subscribe to a newsletter I've launched on LinkedIn, published every Monday at 8 a.m. Eastern, titled How CMOs Commit. And perhaps that's a good note for us to end on because simplicity is about a commitment. You must commit to it. And I explore simplicity and other topics from that lens of how CMOs commit. I would love to invite your listeners to subscribe to the newsletter and to follow me on those social channels as well. Fantastic. Thank you. That newsletter is going to be so helpful to a number of people, even beyond just CMOs. Margaret, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so grateful for our conversation. My pleasure. Thank you.